Well, good morning, church. What a privilege it is to be able to gather. And I've heard rumors that, you know, the state, we're going to be making adjustments this week. And so the question is, well, what are we going to do in here? We're going to praise the Lord here. Yeah. So stay tuned. Stay tuned to be announced. But now yeah, it's good. It's good to be together as the church. I'm seeing some faces that I've only seen a few times all year long. Ladies and gentlemen, Pat Rockwell in the house this morning. So I haven't seen Pat for a while. And so, so it's Pat, good to see you. Yeah, it's so fun. So fun to be together. I'm sure you guys have all heard the phrase, like father, like son. We've all heard it. Like father, like son. I, I mean, it's interesting how our kids are absolute mirrors of us. For those of you that are parents, you guys realize that our kids are our little reflections. In good ways. But the strange thing is, mostly in bad ways. Like, I could, I won't, it's going to cost me money if I start talking about him. So I won't talk about my son. But it's funny when they're growing up that how they pick up on the little things that you don't want them to pick up on. Like father, like son. I remember, you know, everybody knows my wife, Cleo. Cleo, can you wave your hand back there? She's Cleo's sitting all by herself today. Nobody wanted to sit next to her, but that's okay. Um, she, uh, Cleo doesn't get upset. In fact, is there anybody in this room ever seen Cleo upset? No. Okay. <laughs> only a few times in my life I've seen my wife get upset. She only gets upset with me. But I remember one time, so playing softball a few years back, we, we went to a world, the world's competition, and I had broken my jaw by getting hit by a softball right here. And I had just had surgery on the Tuesday, and the tournament was Friday night, Friday, Saturday, Thursday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And I told my doctor I wasn't going to play because he said, you shouldn't play because you shouldn't be running. You have screws and plates in your face. You should just let those set. Um, and so I told him I wasn't going to play. The most important person I told that I wasn't going to play was my wife. And she says, I don't want you to play. And so I said, okay, I'm not going to play. I'll just coach third and keep score. So at one point during one of the games, she had gone and done something and it came back. And she was furious. I mean, like upset. Because she saw what she thought she saw, me in the outfield. First of all, I don't play outfield anymore. These legs don't run that fast. Okay. I think I can run fast, but I can't. She thought what she thought she saw was me running around and playing in the outfield. She was like talking to the fans like, I can't believe Kevin's out there playing. He told me he wouldn't play. My, he told the doctor he wouldn't play. Well, it was, my, it was our son playing out there. Now from a distance, now my son is six foot, 240 pounds. From a distance, we look very similar until you get up close. So to her credit, he, he was like 350 feet away. 
And she was like, I can't believe he's playing. Like father, like son. He, his mannerisms are very similar. In fact, we'll go and hang out and do something. And I tried not to do it now because like the other day we were like leaning against something and we we're talking to his wife and we we're both like standing the exact same way. And she just looked at us like, so now I kind of watch what he's doing and do, the, to do something different, you know. It's like, like father, like son, we, we just naturally do those things. Even our mannerisms, and I have a picture for you. Um, this won't cost me any money because she won't charge me. Okay, like father, like son. So here's a picture. This is my granddaughter, Natalie. We went over and babysat the other day, and she, that's how I felt. Um, but when she sleeps, she was, just, she was just tired, and so she just like laid down right there on the floor, and look how, she, I mean, you almost like walk in and like, is she breathing? You know? But this is the way our son used to sleep. I would come home, and he, when he was in high school, he'd be on the couch, like fully stretched out, arms straight, with a cushion pulled out in his head in the crack of the couch, sleeping just like that. It used to scare me once in a while, like, go over there and kind of poke him just to make sure. I was like, hey, just for my peace of mind, you can fall back asleep, but for my peace of mind, I need to make sure you're alive, okay? So my daughter-in-law, Kirsten, took this picture the other day, but then she sent me this picture. Now, I do want you to notice, like, father-like dog over here. <laughs> she sent me a picture and said, we have a sleepy house today. He starts work at 5-something in the morning, and he works a lot. And so, uh, anyways, that's like father, like son. And when we get into the scriptures today, and we see, we're going to see some tension this morning. Because Jesus was just like his dad. And people had an expectation of who the Messiah was going to be. And I don't know if you've ever looked forward to something. And I mean, you really look forward to it. And then when it shows up, it's not what you thought it was going to be. That expectation is not what you thought it was going to be. And that's what Jesus shows up. And the cool thing about the book of John is he really wants us to know who Jesus is. These aren't covered in any of the other gospels. These stories, Jesus, it's important that John wants to set up the authority of Jesus. That he wasn't just a good teacher, a great rabbi, someone who died for our sin. All the Gospels cover that. But John says, I want you to know that Jesus had all authority to do what he did. Now, authority brings up a whole other realm of thoughts in our brains, right? Because right now, sometimes when we think of authority... It's not always good things that come to our mind, right? Anger, frustration, disgust, hostility, right? Are things that come to our mind when we think of authority. But how about peace? How about comfort and reassurance when we think of authority? That's the way godly authority should be, right? When someone who's caring for us and watching over us and going before us. We should have those feelings. But these are not the feelings that many were experiencing in John chapter 5, which, which is where we're going to be today. So I invite you to open up your Bibles to John chapter 5. We have Bibles if you need one. We'd love to let you have a Bible to, to read. And if you don't have one, we'd love to, for you to just take it home with you. 
page 915. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. We'll, we'll run one over to you. So the word authority stirs up all kinds of things in our hearts and minds. And how about today, the word Jesus? For some of us, it's a sweet sound to our ears. But for, to some of us, or not us maybe, but for, to some people, the name of Jesus stirs up like a hostility. It stirs up like there's something going on. I just, I don't even want to talk about Jesus. Maybe we've been hurt by the church. Maybe we've been hurt by somebody who followed Jesus. And so then we just attribute that, well, if Jesus is like that, I don't want anything to do with it. I want you to know that Jesus isn't like us. So if you've been hurt, hey, I've been hurt by people in the church. Welcome to humanity, right? If you stick around the church long enough, you'll get hurt, unfortunately. But that's why we're supposed to be a place of grace and understand that, all right, all my stuff, I messed up, I apologize, will you forgive me? Yes, I'll forgive you. All right, now we move. Now we move on. We follow Jesus together. I wish it was that easy. (laughs) I take that back. I pray that it was that easy. I don't wish anymore. I just pray. (laughs) Anger, frustration, hostility. That's what we're going to see in this passage because Jesus is going to stand firm and say, so you guys really want to know who I am? I'm going to tell you who I am. And if we pick it up in verse 16, we're going to read little chunks this morning. John chapter 5, verse 16. So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. What was Jesus doing on the Sabbath? Well, last week we talked about it. He had gone to a place. He was just walking through this place. It was was a place that was actually called mercy. Mercy. It was this pool, it was this fountain area that was supposed to be a place for, of great rest and a, an amazing place to go. And what had happened is it had been taken over by those who were sick. And hundreds and hundreds of people had gathered because there's some mysterious thing when the waters were stirred and troubled. If you could get into that water first, you were healed. And this guy had been laying there for 38 years. I mean, 38 years, I can't imagine. And Jesus has mercy on him in the place of mercy and heals him and tells him, get up and go walk, take your mat. This guy's healed 38 years of being sick, and he's walking home like, man, this is awesome. I can walk. And then he gets in trouble because he's carrying his mat that he'd been laying on for 38 years because it's the Sabbath. And we have rules. You don't break the rules. And so they're, asked, they're, they're questioning, what are you doing? Well, this guy told me to get up and walk. So I did. Who's this guy? I don't know. I don't know who the guy was. He's over there. Well, they find out it's Jesus. And so then they're upset. And because Jesus healed this man on the Sabbath, they begin to persecute him. They mean to go after him. You realize that people in our world right now are being persecuted simply because they believe in Jesus. I mean, there are people in our world right now that are persecuted simply for being born a certain ethnicity. 
It's massive right now in our world. Millions of people just for being born a certain race. So Jesus is being persecuted because he heals this man. Jesus shows mercy to this man. And so then they're like, okay, that's it. We're going to go after this guy. And in his defense, Jesus said to them, my father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. That is good news, church, that God is always working. He's at work. For this reason, after Jesus says that, they all the more wanted to kill him. So not only did they have hatred and hostility, but you guys know that if we let those things linger in our hearts, if we let disgust, hatred, and hostility to boil in us for too long, it turns into hatred, and it turns into murder. And that's what they wanted. They wanted to kill him. And why? Because they said, because you're, you're like, you're comparing yourself to God. And as we read it, we're like, no, you're just saying you're like father, like son. No, what Jesus is saying is, hey, I'm just like my father. My father is God. You worship, supposedly, you say you worship my father. And we'll see, Jesus says, but you actually don't. You don't even know him. That makes him really happy. (laughs) So they're mad at him already. And Jesus doubles down and says, okay. I mean, I think sometimes we get this vision of Jesus as this, he was meek. I mean, for the God of the universe to hang on a cross and allow his created to put him to death. That's meekness, because meekness is power under control. Meekness is not weakness. Meekness means you have all the power, but you choose to show control. That's meekness. You choose to humble yourself, and that's what Jesus did. So Jesus doubles down here. He's not this one who's just like, oh, you don't like what I'm saying? Well, well, let me tell you about how much I love you and care for you. And I'm here with you. Are those things true? Yes. But he's, what he's saying is, hey, you guys are missing it. If you read the Gospel of John in this area right here, the Pharisees are missing it. They're so focused on their own stuff that the Messiah, the, the Savior they've been longing for their whole life is right here in their presence, and they don't see him. So they want to kill him because he was making himself equal with God. So let's pick it up on verse 19. Jesus gave him this answer. I mean, they don't even ask. They don't even say anything, but Jesus knows their hearts, right? And so Jesus speaks to their hearts, and he says this. Very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing. Because whatever the father does, the son also does. Like father, like son. The father loves the son and shows him all he does. Yes, and he will show him even greater works than these. So that you will all be amazed. What are the greater things? I mean, Jesus has been healing people. He's turned water into wine. What are the greater things? So are they, Jesus, are you going to do more than this? Yeah, next week, Jesus is going to feed 10,000 people with a few pieces of bread. 
and a fish or two, right? Jesus is going to walk on water. He's going to do all these miraculous things. He says, you're going to be amazed. In fact, what's going to be so amazing is you are going to kill me, and I'm going to raise from the dead. You will be amazed at all the things that God is going to do. Verse 22, moreover, the Father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son, who does not honor the Father who sent him. And what Jesus is telling these guys is, you guys are going to stand before me, and I will judge you. It's an interesting picture if you look back in the Old Testament to Joseph, who Joseph was beaten by his brothers and thrown down into a pit and then sold into slavery. And then years later, his brothers would stand before him and he had the opportunity to judge them. And what does he do? He has mercy. In fact, he breaks down. He has to leave the room and he starts bawling his eyes out and weeping. And then he goes back and reveals himself. And what Jesus, that's a picture, right? Jesus is going to judge these men. And he's trying to let them know that, hey, I am who you've been looking for. They just don't get it. And so Jesus is going to go on to say, hey, there's four, there's four witnesses here in this passage. You guys know that according to the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 19.15, that if you brought somebody in front of a court, you needed two to three eyewitnesses to prove that they were guilty. And it couldn't be just me talking about me. It had to be eyewitnesses, people to see. And so Jesus is going to give them eyewitnesses. I want to give you an example of that this morning, of eyewitnesses. And I need two volunteers today. So just quickly raise your hand. Ishmael, your hand is up, so thank you for... Scratching your, <laughs> hey, never scratch your head during church because pastor, <laughs> pastor thinks you're praising the Lord or you're at volunteering for something, okay? So Fiona, you already came up, so I need Ishmael, and I need one more volunteer. Oh, Jody, you'll be perfect. <laughs> you won't need your, well, yeah, you might need your glasses. So Ishmael and Jody, I want you to go get Alex Olson and bring him to the stage. Yeah. So bailiffs, please bring Alex Olson to the stage. We're going to put Alex on trial this morning. Can I explain something? Sure. Okay, you're good. Now you can, you're good. You can go sit down. Thank you, Ishmael. Okay. <laughs> I think you're gorgeous already, so you don't, blue light or not? You know, when I hear blue light, I think of Kmart. <laughs> the blue light special. All right. Okay. Anybody know what I'm talking about when I say, who, raise your hand if you know what I'm talking about, blue light special. Okay, raise your hand if you know what Kmart is. 
Okay. Just checking because there's no more Kmarts. But back in the day when you'd go to Kmart and you're just like walking through the store, all of a sudden somewhere that they put way up on this pole this blue flashing light. And that means that whatever is flashing, you go there and it was on sale. Okay? So it's a blue light special. Pastor Alex is a blue light special this morning. Alex Olson, let me turn and face you. You are being accused this morning. You are being accused of being a faithful man of God. You are being accused of being a caring husband, a loving dad, an amazing bapa. That means grandpa. Okay. I didn't make that up. Talk to his grandkids about bapa. Okay. I'm grandpa. I'm grandpa. There's no R. There's a W. Okay. So just make sure you get that right. Okay. You're also being accused of being a faithful, caring, loving pastor of Renton Christian Center for 37 years. So I need an eyewitness because to convict him of these things, we need eyewitnesses. So raise your hand if you're an eyewitness, if you've seen him as a faithful man of God, a caring husband, a loving dad, an amazing bapa, and a faithful, caring, loving, amazing pastor of Renting Christian Center for 37 years. Do I have an eyewitness? Yes. So just look around. Okay. Amen. So Alex Olson, you have been found guilty of all these charges, and you've been set free. (laughs) Can you thank Pastor Alex? I love you. I'm going to make you put your own chair away. I actually asked him, hey, can I have you come up on stage? I didn't tell him what we were going to do this morning. So some of us didn't raise our hands this morning. I should have raised my hand, by the way. Make sure that's on the camera, that both, both my hands were raised, that I'm a witness of all those things about. But some of us didn't raise our hands because we don't know him. We don't know him. But he was here for 37 years Man. as our lead pastor. He's the one that saw me as a cabinet maker and said, I think there's something in you. Yeah. Don't hold that against him, church. <laughs> it's not his fault. And, but that's what we're kind of experiencing with Jesus this morning as we look. I mean, some of us in this room know him. And so when we see Jesus, like, stand firm and claim his authority, for like, for like me, who've known him for a long time, it does bring peace and comfort. Like, okay. God, in the craziness of my life right now and in this world, because you have the ultimate authority, I can have peace and comfort. And I can experience joy when I, there's no way I should be, but I can. And we can, right? But for those of us that don't know him, we're like, I don't know him. Well, I suggest that you get to know him and her. I should have called you up on the stage too. Because it was a, yeah, (laughs) I couldn't get you off the stage if you came up. Yeah, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Thank you for your faithfulness, both of you. You guys both planted this church. 
So Jesus is going to give the Pharisees, like, okay, so your law says, I guess Jesus said, our law, or Jesus really could have said, my law. Hey, you need two or three witnesses. Well, Jesus said, how about four? I'm going to give you four witnesses of who I am. Okay? Verse 31. This is Jesus talking. He says, if I testify about myself, my testimony is not true. And what Jesus said, we can't talk about ourselves. We can't prove anything about ourselves. It has to be said about us from other people. Oh, there is another who testifies in my favor, and I know that his testimony about me is true. You have sent to John, and he has testified to the truth. Not that I accept human testimony, Jesus said, but I mentioned that so you would be saved. John was a lamp that burned and gave light, and you chose for a time to enjoy his light. So Jesus is talking about John the Baptist here. And John shows up out in the desert and is preaching repentance. Get right with God. We, Israel, we have been away from God for centuries now. 400 years of silence. It's time for us to get right with God. Pharisees love that. Like, oh, man, you're, you're, like, you're, you're like recruiting for the church. They loved him until he started calling them snakes. Because he was saying, hey, I'm not just talking about people here. I'm talking about people in the church need to repent and get right with God and see God for who he is and not just be so locked in on our traditions and our stuff that we miss God. So eyewitness number one is John the Baptist. Eyewitness number two in verse 36, this is a quick one. I have a testimony weightier than that of John for the works that the Father has given me to finish. They are the very works that I am doing. The very works that I am doing testify that the Father has sent me. So the miracles and the signs and wonders that Jesus is doing, no one had ever done before. They are a testimony. They are an eyewitness that Jesus was from God. Verse 37, number three, eyewitness number three is God himself. And the Father who sent me has himself testified concerning me, but you have never heard his voice nor seen his form. Nor does his word dwell in you, for you do not believe the one he sent. Here's an amazing verse in the New Testament. Verse 39, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that actually testify about me. Jesus says, you guys know. I mean, the scriptures for them was the first five books of the Bible. The Pentateuch, that's the first five books. They, most of them had it memorized. You guys know this stuff. But you think that because you have it memorized and that you can just rattle off verse by verse or this or that, this law, that law, whatever law, that that's what brings you life. That's not where life comes from. Life comes from God himself. And I am a representative. Jesus says, hey, I am God. And you can only have life through me, is what Jesus says. 
That makes them really happy too. They love it. So eyewitness number one is John the Baptist. Eyewitness number two are those signs and wonders that he's been doing. Eyewitness number three is God himself. And then he goes up for the knockout punch. Because he says, you diligently search the scriptures. Well, who do they hold in highest regard back in the day? It was Moses. Man, Moses was it. And Jesus goes on to say, okay, you want, I'm going to give you four. Verse 45. We're going to jump ahead real quick. Verse 45. But do not think I will accuse you before the Father. Now, Jesus just said that he will judge. He is the judge. But he's going to let somebody else judge for the moment. Now, check this out right here. Your accuser, the one who will judge you and point to you, is Moses, on whom your hopes are set. And then he says, if you believed Moses, you would believe me. For he wrote about me, but since you do not believe what he wrote, how are you going to believe what I say? Remember, these guys, it's not like us. And I kind of apologize for this. <laughs> I'll say what one of my favorite people in the world, Victor. Victor is one of our youth guys. And he'll say, sorry, not sorry. Okay. And I don't know where that's from, but I attribute to him. I like it. So here you go. Sorry, not sorry. But sometimes we get so locked in on like our favorite verses and this or that, these little things. We just miss what God wants to do. In us first, but then also through us. These guys knew the scriptures. They had the law down. They thought they had it all figured out. But in a negative way, because we'll see, like, if you look over in the other gospels, there's a point where one of these Pharisees actually goes to church. He's in church, and there's a a tax collector not far away from him. And he stands up, and the Bible says that he prays to himself. Interesting. And he prays out loud, and he says, God, thank you. Not, God, thank you for your grace and for saving me, but thank you that I'm not like him. That's the type of guys that Jesus is talking to here. And then yet the the tax collector He can't even look up. He is so broken because God loves him so much and has revealed his brokenness. Do you guys realize that? Because God loves us. And like for me, when I first came to know Jesus, I was young, but I felt I was so broken. And you're like, well, how broken can a 14-year-old be? Well, I was broken as a 14-year-old could be. And I felt it. I knew inside something was wrong. And it's because of his grace that he allows us to even see that we're broken. And then he rebuilds us. And this tax collector says, God, I'm not even worthy. And then they both leave church, and Jesus says, so whose prayer was answered? Well, it's the one who was broken. Not the one who was proud and was pointing fingers around church. I'm better than, I don't even want to point. 
but it was the humble that Jesus reached out to and ministered to. And it's his grace that reveals to us that we don't have it all together. Jesus is trying to let the Pharisees know, you think you have it all together, but I'm sharing this stuff. And what do he say? I'm sharing this stuff so you will be saved. Again, Jesus, extreme grace here. These guys want to kill him, and he's still offering salvation to them. I don't know if I've ever had anybody want to kill me. Don't raise your hand. <laughs> I've had people upset with me. And my first like, initial response is, oh, I, you're upset with me? Well, I'm upset with you. Right? And then all of a sudden, wall. I don't want any, you don't want anything to do with me? I don't want anything to do with you. But Jesus isn't this way. This is what they're saying. They have hostility against him. They are persecuting him. They want to put him to death. And Jesus says, hey, I'm sharing this stuff with you so that you'll have life and that you'll be saved. And their response? No. We want what we have. Because here's the deal. If Jesus is claiming authority here, then what do they have to give up? They have to give up authority. They had all the authority. They were telling people what to do. They had them. And they were going to have to lay down their authority and then follow the one who had ultimate authority. And they, didn't, they, they weren't willing to do it. But man, isn't that like, and some, some of us, we, we read these and we're like, oh man, those dumb people. I'll use dumb. I almost said something else. But how is that just natural for us as human beings? And Jesus says, ah, I'm sharing this stuff because I love you. Even though you don't want what's best for me, I want what's best for you. Jesus says, you diligently search the scriptures. So what are the things that Moses, what are some of the pictures that Moses laid out what are some of the things that they went through that as they searched the scriptures, they're like, ooh, that reminds me of Jesus. Boy, I wrote a few down. How about at the very beginning? I mean, Moses wrote the, five, the first five books. Now, he wasn't alive at the very beginning. Through the Holy Spirit, God told him what to write down, right? And so Moses writes the first five books of the Bible. Genesis chapter 3, right after, I'll just say we messed up because if we were there, we would have messed up, and God brings judgment to all of them that were present. He judges the man, he judges the woman, and he judges the serpent. And when he is judging, he's, he's bringing judgment to the serpent, he said, there's a promise in the midst of that. I will bring somebody who will crush your head. You'll, you'll get one strike in. You'll bite his heel. And I'm sure that hurts. I've been bit by a dog like right here. It hurts, but it's not life-threatening. Well, Jesus, he got bit, and he actually died, right? But he rose from the dead. That's a picture. Moses wrote about that. That's one of the signs. How about the Passover when, when they leave Egypt after being enslaved for so many years? Again, centuries. And God says, hey, I'm going to send the Passover we're going to have Passover, and I'm going to send the angel of death, 
but if you put blood on the posts of your house, on the sides and on the top, I will pass over. And then this is what you're to eat. And if you look at the Passover meal, it's incredible. I mean, there's three pieces of bread, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And you take the second piece of bread and you break it in half. Jews do this today. They break it in half. And then guess what they do with it? They hide part of it. Like Jesus was broken and put into the grave for three days. And then towards the end of the meal, they bring it back. And they're all reunited. This is what Jesus is saying. Hey, you search the scriptures. You should know this stuff. I have been around all this stuff. Manna from heaven. We're going to talk about manna from heaven next week. About Jesus saying, I am the bread of life. Living water from the rock. Out of nowhere. Jesus brings Or God brought living water. What a picture. Because Jesus stands up and says, what? I'm living water, Jesus said. Deuteronomy chapter 18. Let me read this to you. This is God speaking to Moses. I will raise up for them a prophet like you, like you, Moses, from among their fellow Israelites, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he will tell them everything I command him. I myself will call to account anyone who does not listen to my words that the prophet speaks in my name. Isn't that interesting? And I will put my words in his mouth, and and he will tell them everything I command him. And Jesus says, I do nothing on my own, I only do what my father tells me to do. Another picture. Here we go. You guys know this stuff, Jesus says, but they just miss it. So it just makes me question, like, how much are we missing it sometimes? That's the church. And I pray, this morning, we have pre-service prayer for anybody, and everybody's welcome. 925 Sunday mornings for those who are, we mainly are doing it for those who are volunteering who are teaching Sunday school, who are ushering and greeting and hosting and on worship team. And we spend 10 minutes in prayer and worship um, just to give those who are serving a taste before they run off and do what they do, you know? And I was thinking this morning, like, God, I don't want to be so focused on, man, that the microphones are perfect, that the projectors are, I mean, I, we do. We get here early and make sure it's on the guitar. Do you guys hear the guitar? Ben, where's Ben Banley in the house? There you are. Ben, thank you for leading worship today. But did you hear his guitar was cutting in and out? We're having like technical difficulties with this guitar. And we almost stopped and came up and like, you know what? Jesus is here anyways. Yeah. Right? And that's what we pray. God, that we don't want to be so focused on all the stuff that we miss you. I don't care about a perfect service that we went without a hitch and like, wow, the microphone, Fiona just sang this great lick this morning, which she did. She was awesome. Yeah. Okay. Olivia's only been playing bass for like two months and she's up here on stage playing, right? The most important thing is that Jesus shows up here and moves in us and ministers to us and brings healing and rescue to us. That's the most important thing. We don't want to miss him. And Jesus said, again, I just want to read it to you. You study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me. 
And what are some of the things that we're like running to? What are some of the things that we like we run to to bring us life? And we just sometimes miss it. Jesus said, you diligently search the scriptures. And this morning, what I, what I want us to do just for a moment is I want to invite the God of the scriptures to search us. I want to invite the God of the scriptures who wrote this book to search and examine us. Yikes! <laughs> right? It's one of my favorite words to type out, yikes. Exclamation point. I like exclamation points. But to allow the God of the word, the God of the universe, the God who wrote this word, the God who loves us and cares for us, to actually spend a moment to say, okay, God, I've been doing all the stuff that I think I'm supposed to be doing. I'm just going to stop for a moment. And what I've been telling like our worship team lately is like, I said, give us places to camp. Not all of you guys like camping, so I, I, that might be a bad illustration. But give us places to rest. And so like Ben, last week, Brandon, you guys gave us places where we can just like breathe. And we're not just singing lyrics and songs and boom, 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 boom. But we can actually like, I want to give you that moment again this morning. And I want to read a couple of scriptures. I actually have them up here on the board. Psalm 139, 23, 24. Can you close your eyes with me? And the reason why I ask you to close your eyes is because it's, it's a distraction thing. And Lord Jesus, this morning as we invite you to speak truth to us today, God, I, bring it, I believe that you're going to bring reassurance today. God, I, I believe that you're going to bring hope. I know some of us are dreading this moment, but it's not a place to dread, but it's a place of hope. Some of us are going to receive mercy and grace this morning. I believe some of us, as these scriptures are being read, that you're going to bring healing to us this morning, God. So, Lord, we invite you to search us, O oh God, and know our hearts. And, Lord, test us and know our anxious thoughts. <sighs> See if there's any offensive way in us this morning. And lead us, Lord, in the ways of everlasting. If you're feeling anxious today, I'm not going to ask you to do anything because that's going to make you more anxious. But what I'm not going to ask you is would you just rest in his presence? Can you know that he knows you? That he sees you? That his way for you is everlasting? that he knows the circumstances in your life, that he knows your failures, and he knows when you mess up, 
but he loves you. And he wants to rescue you and call you to a new place, a place where there is life, a life that he said is abundant, not just an eternal life, yes, eternal life in him, but an abundant life with him now. Do you hear me, church? An abundant life with him now. Not based on your circumstances, not based on what you've done or who you are, but based on who he says you are and what he has done on your behalf. Jesus sat in that chair. Even though there was no accusations against him. They couldn't find him guilty of anything, and he chose to sit in that judgment, place of judgment, and to take the punishment for us. So I invite you to cast your anxiety at his feet this morning. And God, I pray that may the words of our mouths and the meditation of our hearts, God, from this time forward today, that it would be pleasing to you because you are our rock and you are the one who has redeemed us, who has purchased us back, who has brought us back, who is, when nobody else thought that we had any value, you saw, you looked across and said, yes, they're mine. I will redeem them. And we thank you that you give us life today, Jesus. Lord, thank you for moving in us. God, and I pray that we wouldn't hoard this life, that we wouldn't hang on to it ourselves, but we would walk around with arms wide open and we would be giving life away in Jesus' name to people around us. People are longing for life right now, God. Use us, Lord. Use us to speak truth. Use us to walk it out in front of them. Give us the answers to speak. Give us hearts that are gracious with one another. Take away our judging eyes, God. And give us eyes of mercy. In Jesus' name. The church said? Amen. Amen, Amen church. Amen. Hey, we have... Seven. I counted it up. We have seven people being baptized today. And we're going to celebrate life. We're going to take about a 10-minute break, allow them to get ready, get dressed, get changed, and then we're going to go swimming at church. Okay. All right. Blessings to you. We'll see you next Sunday. And you are everybody's welcome to stick around. But if you want to just take a little intermission so the people that are getting baptized can get ready, that would be awesome. Okay? Blessings. <laughs>